welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 1st of April 2018, entitled The Resurrection, Believe It or Not. And the Bible reading is taken from Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 20. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had, brought, had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him, him being Jesus. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. They said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And they looked. They saw that the stone was rolled away. For it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. They went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. And when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first unto Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven, sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your word that's before us, for your spirit that dwells within us. Lord, we know as we gather here today, Lord, it's not what we can say and we can do, but you know the heart of each and every individual. Lord, by the power of your spirit, through your word, would you speak to each one that which they need? If there's a lost person here that they might be saved, if there's a backslider that they might be restored for every Christian, that they might be encouraged and built up and challenged afresh, you know the work that all of our lives need. We entrust that to you. Pray that we would be receptive and responsive to what you have for us. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. All right, again on this Resurrection Sunday, we look into God's Word. And, of course, as we look here and realize that in some ways it is a familiar story. It's one that we read. As a matter of fact, there's, it's impossible to become a Christian without knowing this story. We cannot know a lot of things in the Bible, but this is something that we must know. But as we look here, I'm sure that some of you may have in the world uh, been to or if not at least heard of Ripley's Believe It or Not. And of course, there's all these things that are supposed to be so astounding and so amazing that your eyes don't know whether to believe it or not to believe it. 
Well, I took a little play and borrowed their words this morning, and if you would, our thought this morning, I thought about calling it Christ, believe it or not, instead of Ripley's, believe it or not, but it's really the resurrection. And that's what I want us to think on for just a moment. The resurrection, believe it or not. And I'll say to you right in the beginning, you see, it doesn't matter whether we believe it or whether we don't believe it. It doesn't change the fact that it happened, and that's what we're celebrating today. It doesn't change the event one bit, but it'll change your life more than anything else in all this world, whether you believe it or whether you don't. I want us just to remind ourselves of what's taking place here in the Gospel of Mark chapter chapter 16, and I want us to look at three things that we see very clearly here. And first of all, we see a demonstration of Christ's power like nothing else. So many times people want to see these amazing things, these amazing events, and power is one thing that tends to impress everybody. But we see a demonstration here, a demonstration of power like nothing else in all the world could ever show us. First of all, I want you to notice here in, in the first four verses, the Bible tells us when the Sabbath was passed, and Mary Magdalene, you see, they couldn't do anything while the Sabbath was taking place. That had passed, so it was early on the first day of the week. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome had, had bought these sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. It was a normal practice to anoint the dead bodies with these spices and everything uh, when they were there. So they came, it says, very early in the morning, the first day of the week, which is why that we gather and worship on the Lord's Day on Sunday, because that was the day that they found the empty tomb. It says, they came into the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. We almost did that this morning at the sunrise service. It wasn't too far up. It was still behind the hill when we got over there in the park. And as they were coming, they said amongst themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? Remember, in the passage before, they had seen where that they had put Jesus' body in the borrowed tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They had put him in that tomb, and they had watched that, and they knew that there was this huge stone that was rolled across the door to seal it there, and they thought, well, we're not going to be able to roll that stone away. Who's going to roll the stone away for us? When they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was great. You see, the first thing I want you to know here, these ladies were seeking. They went there for a purpose. They were seeking this one that they cared about. They cared very much about Jesus. They had been with them. The Bible teaches us that they had even ministered to his needs before in many things. And they went seeking for Jesus in the place that they really thought that they would find him. They went seeking that they would find him in a form that they were familiar with. They, they knew this Jesus. They knew where he had been put. They were seeking him. They were searching for him. But often, even those who acknowledge Christ, so many times they're seeking him with all their preconceived ideas about who he is and where he's at and what he's doing. We try to, to fit Jesus in this neat little box. They had seen Jesus crucified on the cross. They had seen his dead body being wrapped in the clothes and put in this grave and being sealed shut. By all natural appearance, they thought they wanted to find Jesus, but they were looking at him where they thought that he would be. They were looking at him in the form that they thought they would find. But when they got there in verse 5, and entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. What they found was not what they expected. As a matter of fact, it was so out of the ordinary that when they got in there and suddenly they were expecting to see Jesus there, they were expecting him to be a dead body laying there in the place that he had been placed. But yet when they got in there, Jesus wasn't there. But there was a messenger there. There was a messenger there, and, and this sight before their eyes, it literally frightened them. They didn't know what in the world was going on. Verse 6 says, and he saith unto them, be not afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. You're looking for that same Jesus that you saw them nailed to that cross. I got news for you today. A lot of the world 
and a lot of the false religions of this world, they'll go this far. They'll, they'll look for a Jesus that died on the cross. He was a person that lived and was nailed to that cross. They acknowledge this man, Jesus of Nazareth. Many of them will even acknowledge that he was crucified. The problem is, they're still looking for him amongst the dead. They think he was a great man, a great teacher, even a, a prophet sent from God. But they're still expecting him to be in that tomb. They're expecting him to be there as a dead body. They haven't listened to God's message. You see, there was a messenger there that day. But God has messengers all over the world because that's where this story ends up in the ending is us going out being the messengers of this phenomenal feat that took place that day. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, look at the place where they laid him. He's not here. I know you expected to find him, a dead Jesus, a dead body, laying in this place, but that's not it. You see, this is the part of the Easter message that sets us apart from the world, that sets us apart from all of those other religions out there, that many of them, yes, they're sincere, yes, they're genuine, yes, they believe in a God. Some of them even believe in a Jesus, but they don't believe in the risen Savior. They don't believe in a risen Jesus. They won't go that far. <laughs> Jesus is not amongst the dead. You know, there's some debate today, and there's some people that think that they know if you take a trip to Israel, which I hope to do. I've planned it three times, I think, and it's always fell through because of something. But, you know, some people think they know where the tomb is that he was in. They can't be 100% sure. You know, even if you were lucky enough that it was the tomb that they buried Jesus in. There's nothing there but an empty tomb. He's not there. That's the place where they laid him, but he is no longer there. He is risen. Verse 7 says, but go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. Again, we see, we see that... They're reminded, Jesus has already told you about this. <laughs> Jesus has already told you they would meet the risen Lord. He told them that he would be there. They would meet the risen Lord at the place of his choosing, at his direction, just as he said. Go ahead, go tell those others, go tell them that he's going ahead of them into Galilee where he told you that he was going to meet you at. There isn't Jesus. You know what? He wants to meet every one of you today. I promise you that. He wants you to meet you, first of all, in this world. He wants to meet you by faith. He wants you to put your faith and trust in the message that he is the risen Lord, that he's your risen Lord. And then, praise God, we've sung about it. He wants to meet you again face-to-face -face one day at the rapture when he calls his church out of here. He's asked you to be there. He's told you that he's going to be there. He's told you exactly where to meet him at. You see, he'll meet you here by faith. He's told you that all you have to do is humble yourself before him as a sinner. You can't go to him in your pride. That great hymn we'll sing, just, just as I am, without one plea. That's each and every one of us, folks. He wants you just like you are today. He'll meet you by faith right here, right now, today. If you will humble yourself, admit that you're a sinner, and recognize that it's only through meeting him that he's the one. That's why he died on that cross. He died so that he could meet you here today, so that he could be here for you because he wants to give you that life. He wants to give it to you more than anything in the world. You can either receive it or you can reject it. You see, he wants to meet you today because many of us believe that it's not long till we'll hear the trumpet sound. Jesus will return. He wants to meet you today by faith so that one day he can meet you face to face in the rapture and he can take you to be with him forever and forever. We find that 
Here in verse 8, it says, they heard this great message, and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher. Why? For they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Believe it or not, they didn't know what to believe. They didn't know what was happening before their eyes. This was amazing, and we see their fear because they don't understand it. So many times, I admit, I realize, folks, it can be a fearful thing. We don't understand. Why is it? Why is it that, that, that God shines that light upon our heart and we see that sin, we see and recognize? And if that sin is what's going to separate us from the very source of light, I find that we see here that they, they, they had actually wanted... They'd wanted to find Jesus. They cared about this person. They really wanted to, but man, none of this was going as they had planned it to go. And all, none, none of this was fitting into what they had expected to find there. And so they were afraid and their unwillingness when they left there, the Bible says, <laughs> and they said they anything to any man for they were afraid. They didn't say anything to anybody out of fear, just what is it, two Saturdays ago? I had the privilege of doing a, a soul-winning seminar up in Liverpool. You know, and I shared with those people, and I'll say it right here today, the greatest enemy that we have of doing what the Lord left us here to do is our own fears. <laughs> people are afraid. Why? Why do we not tell that person about Jesus? Why do we not let that light shine? Whether it's at school or whether it's at work, we're afraid except we're not afraid of being nailed to a cross like he was for you. We're afraid of what they might think about us. We're afraid of what they might say to us. We're afraid of people's opinion. We're one of those narrow-minded, old-fashioned, old Christian people. Just got a crutch on all this stuff and everything. We have fears if we weren't afraid. Why? If we had just seen the greatest, if we really, really, you the greatest news in all the world. Why would we not share it? Now, when Jesus was risen early, the first day of the week, you see, they weren't expecting that. Jesus had told them Jesus was risen. Of all the things Jesus had done, I mean, stop and think of some of the phenomenal miracles that he had performed, but yet nothing these were the people that had seen him performing those miracles. They had seen the wondrous things that he'd done that was unbelievable, and yet nothing like this, nothing compared to what this was that was happening now, nothing demonstrated the kind of power that it took for a dead man not to be there, to be up and gone. Nothing he'd ever done had taken that kind of power. Well, again, Jesus had told them, all about this. John recorded it this way in, in, in the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 10. Notice what he says in verse 17 and 18. He says, Therefore doth my Father love me because... My Father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. He knew the power because he was there. They were there when they'd planned the redemption of your soul. He says, look, we read earlier during the communion service, Oh, they were mocking him. They were wagging at him. They were going by. Yeah, hey, hey. Yeah, if you're who you say you are, come down off that cross. We know that they didn't take his life from him. He gave it freely. Oh, he let them nail him to the cross. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> but it was only because he himself, he himself had laid it down willingly, Jesus freely laid his life down of himself. He had to completely lay it down. That's the only way that the penalty for sin could be paid for. He gave it completely. 
He shed his blood. There was not a drop of his blood wasted. It was put there on the mercy seat. He had the power to lay it down, and he had the power to take it up again three days later. The demonstration of Christ's power was not just some abstract theological idea out there. It wasn't just some way for him to show off to the world his muscles. He willingly died to pay for your sin. He rose from the dead to offer you life, to personally have a relationship with you for all of eternity. Do you understand what he did? He did it for you personally, and only you personally can accept that glorious, wonderful, unspeakable gift that he offered to you. You see, today, it's not what you can do. It's acknowledging what he has done for you. You can be forgiven of every sin you've ever committed. Your slate will be wiped clean. It will be as if you never, ever sinned anything because when you accept him, his death, his burial, his resurrection, you died with him. That's when your sins were paid for. You were risen with him because he conquered death when he conquered sin for you. Jesus, what he did for you. You see, you must yourself meet the living Savior today. You've got to determine in your own heart that he is. He is risen, but he is your risen Savior. He died and rose again for you. You see, we see the demonstration of Christ's power Death couldn't hold him, and therefore, in him, death cannot hold you. You don't have to be afraid. We, we sang that song for, we don't have to fear tomorrow. We don't have to fear what the future holds because he lives. But I want you to see something else here, not only the demonstration of his power, but I want you to notice the determination of Christ's presence. What are you talking about, preacher? I want you to grasp this. Notice what he says in verse 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. There were three ladies that went there that morning. These three ladies that went searching for him. But of these three ladies that went there to the tomb searching for Jesus that morning, undoubtedly, Mary Magdalene would have been considered the worst sinner of the lot. I mean, he had cast seven devils out of this woman. She had been faced with unbelief and fear there at the tomb. And as a result, she had gone away afraid because this wasn't what she was expecting. This was not the way she expected to meet Jesus. This was not what she expected to happen. And so she went away terrified on her own. She hadn't told anybody. She hadn't told anybody what she'd heard, what she'd seen. You see, I want you to realize that we see here just another picture, beautiful display of God's grace. As he goes to those that are undeserving, as he goes to the sinners amidst all their doubts and amidst all their fears, he goes to this lady that had had seven devils in her. He goes to this lady that in the world's eyes was just a downcast. He goes to this lady that was in her unbelief and her fear and trembling and not, and yet Jesus personally goes to her. Romans chapter 5 verse 20 says, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. God gave us his law so that we could know what sin is, that sin may abound, that sin could be seen, that sin, there is no question of our sinfulness. The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Yes, we can all look. We're all guilty before God, guilty in our sin. But that sin 
That greatness, now, you know, the Bible goes on and in that same passage in chapter 5, <laughs> some will say, oh boy, now, if God's grace can abound and be seen even more because of sin, then let's just go out and sin a lot <laughs> so God's grace can be seen real big. Paul says two words there. They're two of the strongest words that he could come up with. He said, God forbid. How dare us even think such a thing? That's such an outrageous thought. We can look to God's law and we can know that we're a sinner. But God's law will not save us. Where that sin abounded, as we see our sin, we see how great that our sinfulness is, God's grace abounded more. Do you understand? There is no sin that's too much for God's grace. There's nothing that's too far for him. In her belief and in her fear. Jesus made his presence known to her, and then she believed. She had determined in her own heart that Jesus, yes, the same one that she had seen die on the cross, the same one she'd expected to find in the tomb, but he wasn't there, that he had indeed risen from the dead, that he was alive, and that he was there with her. In Ephesians chapter 2, a passage that is a favorite Amongst many, many, many Christians, and I want you just to listen to what the Word of God says us there, and notice the context in which he gives it to us. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says, and you, and you hath he quickened, in you hath he made alive, is what that word means, who were dead in trespasses and sins. He's talking to you, the believer, the child of God. You were dead in your sins, but he has quickened you. He has made you alive. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Yes, you did exactly what the devil wanted you to do and what this world wanted you to do and what your flesh wanted to do, among whom also... We all had our conversation in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as ours. Hey, you're not on, you know, I used to watch the Lone Ranger as a kid. You're not the Lone Ranger in your sinfulness. He said, hey, we were all there. We were all dead in our trespasses and sin. We walked according to the course of this world. We walked according to the course that Satan wanted us to walk. But, well, I love that. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Look, there's so many wonderful, beautiful, exciting things there, but I want you to grasp and understand when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, the very first person that he made himself known to was a sinful woman that had been full of devils, that was doubting him, that was fearing him, and yet he goes and he makes his presence known. His grace, he made himself known to her even though she was in all that doubt and fear at that time. Unbelief followed by grace, followed by faith. She was in all of her unbelief, but it was when God, Jesus Christ, made himself known to her by his glorious grace. She didn't deserve it, but he went to her. And it was only when he made himself known to her that by faith, it's God's gift, it's God's work. Mary Magdalene, the picture of that glorious grace there. But then notice, notice in verse 10, I'm way over here now. Verse 10, he says, and she went and told them 
that had been with him as they mourned, wept. As soon as the Lord got through with her, Mary Magdalene, once she had determined in her own heart that Jesus was indeed risen, her immediate reaction was to tell other followers, to tell others about her meeting with him. They're mourning and they're weeping. They tell us a lot of things. We talked about that this morning. They were emotionally attached to Jesus, there's no doubt. They saw him go through some horrible things as he died. But why were they so distraught? Folks, only because they believed he was dead. That's why they were crying. That's why they were weeping. Not because they believed that he was risen, but they were weeping and crying and they were distraught because they thought he was still dead. <laughs> Verse 11, and they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. <laughs> Even when they got the message, now the ladies, they got that message in the tomb, but they didn't believe it either. Jesus made it known to her. They got the message here, and they didn't believe it. Verse 12, after that, he, Jesus, appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. We don't know how many it was that was there to start. We don't know if it was all the apostles, it was others. It was some that were there. They had all disbelieved, but then there were two of them on their own. They were going for a walk into the country. Jesus appeared to, to them. And notice again, folks, Jesus came to them in their unbelief. And the Bible says he appeared to them in another form. Oh, we could look at a lot of things there, his divinity, his adaptability, his sufficiency. He comes to each of us. He comes to each of us in different ways, in different places. He doesn't meet all of us in exactly the same way. He came to these two in a different form than when he had went to Mary Magdalene. They were different. It's personal. It's personal to you. They believed. You see, they had already, they believed in Jesus. They even believed in his death that he died on the cross. They had been deeply saddened by that belief. Now, they're glad again. Why? Because they believe in his resurrection. They had now determined in their own hearts, not only that he had died, but that he had risen again and was present with them. Again, unbelief, God's grace comes on the scene, and their faith. That's the only, for by grace are you saved through faith. Your faith is the only thing that can get you there, and God's grace is the only thing that can save you. Verse 13, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. So <laughs> they're all together, and these ladies come, and they tell them, you know, nah, none of them believe it. Two of them are going out into the country walking, and Jesus appears to them in another form. Once they meet Jesus, they believe. They go back to tell the rest of them, the residue of them, but they still don't believe it, even though there's two more that's come and told them. Verse 14, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. He appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared, he appeared to these other followers and then personally to two of those. Here we find in verse 14, he appeared unto the 11. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily the number 11. It's the 11, like the Sanhedrin, like the council. He was talking about those. And so probably in that 11 were probably the nine that didn't believe and the, and, the, and, the, and the two that did that he had met on the road. He appeared to them as a group. We know that the two had gone back and had told them what they'd seen, but they hadn't believed it. But here, as he appears to them, it was not Jesus that they didn't believe. It was his resurrection in particular. They had no problem. They believed very much in Jesus. They believed very much that he had been nailed to that cross. But Jesus upbraided them for their unbelief. It wasn't that they didn't believe him. 
or that he had died for them, keep in mind, it wasn't just the messenger that they hadn't believed. Jesus had said unto them, Jesus had told them that all this was going to be. We read it there a while ago. The messengers that came were confirming. You see, I'm saying to you that God may send you a messenger today, but just because somebody comes and says that they've seen Jesus or that Jesus has done this or that God's done that, you got to be careful. How do you know? What I'm saying is these messengers were coming and telling them exactly what Jesus had already told them. You see, the Word of God is what confirms it. And we find if we read on down at the end of this chapter that God gave these apostles some very special gifts. They were able to heal. They were able to, to go out there because they were the foundation. They didn't have the Word of God yet that you and I have. The Word of God was still being written. The New Testament wasn't in print yet. But when the messenger comes to you, when he comes, is he bringing you what God has already told you? Because, see, you can count on that. I'll tell you what. I can come to you with all the sincerity in the world, and I can believe that God, and I've had people come to me, and I don't, I don't say this nastily. People come to me and say, you know, God told me to tell you that this is going to happen, or God told me to tell you that you're supposed to do this. I say, okay, I appreciate it, but I'm on pretty good speaking terms with God. Why hasn't he come and talked to me, you know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I don't know what they've heard or where they've heard it, but I want to know I hear it from God. You know, I wouldn't lead you astray for anything, but I'm a man. You know, my heart is deceitful above all things, the Bible says. I can't even believe myself sometimes, let alone somebody else. But I can always believe God. I can always know that he's right. You see, I want you to grasp as we look at the resurrection, believe it or not, we see the demonstration of Christ's power, the greatest, the greatest power that we've ever seen in the world. But then we see in, in three different groups here a determination of Christ's presence. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that the greatest power in the universe was shown over 2,000 years ago at the tomb. If you don't believe it in your own heart, you've got to determine it for yourself. Each one of these did. They saw it. It was there. They believed in Jesus. They believed he had died, but they did not believe that Jesus was alive and present with them right there. They had to determine that in their own heart. But I want you to notice unbelief, grace, faith. But notice what he says here again in verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. In every one of these instances, every one that we read about here, it was not belief in Jesus that was lacking. It was belief in the resurrection. They all believed in Jesus. They all believed the death, but they, did, they were missing that ingredient that he was a risen Savior, that he's alive now, that he was with them then. And I've already said, so true today. Yes, of many in the world, historically, Many will admit that there was a figure called Jesus and even that he was nailed to a Roman cross. We find that in many of the false religions of the world, they try to convince you that they believe in the same Jesus, but they believe in a man called Jesus. They may even believe that he was a messenger of God, a prophet, but they only believe to the cross and the tomb. They don't believe beyond that. And you know, sadly, in the day that you and I live, there are many that would call themselves Christian that don't believe in a literal bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be careful. Just because they say they're Christian, oh, they will use the terminology they believe in, but they just believe in a whole spiritual thing. They don't believe that he physically, bodily arose from the grave. I'm saying to you, you see, you've got to believe it all. Unbelief, grace, faith, the natural response to a risen Lord in every one of these cases was to tell someone immediately, and he's alive. I 
have personally met Jesus Christ. Now, that's not even sharing the gospel. That's not doing anything. That's just that, hey, when you meet Jesus, you're going to have to tell somebody. You're not going to be able to keep it to yourself. You didn't really meet him. You didn't meet the risen Savior. You might have met the dead one that somebody else was telling you about. My Jesus is alive. He's risen from the grave. And, of course, one of those passages that we so often turn to in Romans chapter 10, the Bible teaches us that, beginning in verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. I want you to know just believing in Jesus isn't enough, folks. Just believing that Jesus died for you isn't enough. You see, we have, in this passage that we've looked at, we've got the demonstration of Christ's power. We've got the determination of Christ's presence in each individual, but there's got to be a declaration of Christ's provision. He provided everything, and it takes the death, the burial, and the resurrection. You can't have part of it. He says in verse 9 that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You can't just believe on Jesus Christ and want to keep it a secret. You don't really know Jesus if you can keep it a secret. If you can keep it bottled up inside of you, you better realize maybe you're deceiving your own self. That's not the risen Savior. You might believe there was a Jesus. You might believe he died on that cross. But do you believe he rose again and that he's, a, that he's alive today and that he is the one that wants to live in you. He's alive today. He's a living Savior, not a dead martyr. You see, the natural response is to tell someone. The words of Jesus here in verses 15 to 18 go beyond just telling what they already know. Okay? There's a lot of people that have heard about a Jesus and that know about a Jesus. And all these first instances, all these people already believed in Jesus and believed that he died on the cross. They just hadn't accepted the resurrection part of the message yet. But his command here is different to us. That first telling, that first confession, that's just a natural response of Jesus Christ being a part of your life. But once that has happened, he gives us this command to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach the entire provision of Jesus Christ. The gospel is his death, his burial, his resurrection. You can't pick and choose. You can't just take part of it. His command, once you believe, is to go to the world. Go preach the gospel to every creature. They can't believe what they've not been told. Folks, it matters not that Jesus provided all the payment that's needed for their sin. It matters not that Jesus provided life and life eternal for them. If they never hear, if they never believe, they have to believe in their heart. They have to accept his full provision. He goes on. There in Romans chapter 10, he goes on just after he says, the Scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there's no difference between the Jew, the Greek, the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter what language they speak. Doesn't matter how they speak it. But he says in verse 14, how then shall they call on him? in whom they have not believed. If you're going to call on him, you've got to believe. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For as I saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? Do you get that feeling sometimes? They did. <laughs> all of them weren't believing. So then faith cometh by hearing. and Hearing by the word of God. It's God's grace. It's God's grace that maybe even here today, he's speaking to your heart. He's tugging at your heart. You know, you know, you know that he's not alive and well in your heart today. It's only by God's word that that faith, you see, faith is not something you can work up, that you can make up, that you can give to anybody else. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. It's believing God's word. That's the only way. That's the only way you can come to that saving faith. The gospel, folks, is the entirety of Christ's provision. Saving faith requires belief in the full provision of all that Christ is and all that he's done, not just in part. Christ's power was demonstrated like no other on that first resurrection Sunday. He had laid his life down on Calvary. He had shed his blood but he had taken that life up again on the third day after he had paid that penalty for sin. The empty tomb was a demonstration of his power, a power that is beyond all powers. But his presence, the presence of that living Savior must be determined in your life personally just as it was with each one of these. I ask you this morning in closing, do you believe that Jesus that Jesus lived and walked upon this earth? Do you believe that that man that walked upon this earth, that even though he was a man, he was God incarnate in the flesh? He was the only man that could ever pay the price because he was the only sinless man that ever walked. Do you believe that when he died upon that cross, it's not just some pretty picture to hang on the wall? When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he was shedding his blood in payment for capital Y, capital O, capital U, capital R, your sin and my sin. Do you believe that he was hanging there for you? Do you believe that when he shed that blood, that he paid that sin debt, that he paid it in full, that he did conquer death, that he did conquer hell, that he did conquer the grave, and he rose the third day victorious over it all. Do you believe that with all your heart today? He laid his life down of himself for you. He took it up again. and He did that for you as well. To give you life to give you life forever. Do you believe that as we gather here today that he is alive today? Do you believe that if you're here today, you may be in unbelief. You may be in fear. You may be in all kind of mixed up emotions just like these were here. Do you believe that Jesus will meet with you today? Folks, he's alive He's well. He wants to meet with you. He wants to meet you in your unbelief and your fear, and he wants to turn that into peace and hope and love and joy and, and life everlasting. He's the only one that can give that to you. You can search for it in the world. You can turn everything upside down. You can do everything that you think is right, but only he can give it to you. And he'll give it to you today. If I could, I would, but I can only be the messenger today but I'm trying to be the messenger of God's word, not mine. Christians, I ask you as well, how real is the presence of a living Jesus in your life? Where did you take him last week? What did you do with him? How did he affect your life? How real is, is his presence in your life today? You see, in every instance that we see here, when they experienced the reality of Christ's presence, it changed their life. It changed their attitude 
They wanted to tell others that they had been with Jesus. They wanted to declare his presence to them. He's provided. He's provided the only means of salvation that you can ever have, but he's provided everything that you need in your life today. He didn't save you to leave you. You see, you'll never get past your unbelief. You'll never be able to move until God in his grace, maybe just as he's doing in your life right now, he speaks to you. That still, small voice he comes to you. You can only love him because he first loved you. Do you realize that if he's reaching out to you with your love right now, it's just for you to accept it only when he speaks to you personally through his word, by the power not of the preacher but of the Holy Spirit. Only then can you ever come to true believing faith. Only then, Christian, can your life ever really be turned around and be what it ought to be. Is the risen Lord speaking to your heart right now? Father, I thank you, Lord, on this resurrection day. And, Lord, I know that, Lord, in all the hours that we spent together in just preparing this simple sermon that, Lord, you spoke to my heart in such reality. And I realize that as a man, I can't even begin to put that into words today. But I pray that the greatest messenger of all, the Holy Spirit, Speak to hearts here today and remind them on this resurrection day what it's really all about. Praise God. We are serving a risen Lord. He's alive today, and he wants to live within each and every one of us. He wants to be a part of our life. He wants to live with us now, but he wants to live with us forever. Lord, I pray from the very depths of my being, Lord, for anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, Lord, would you send the great messenger, the Holy Spirit, to speak to their hearts right now? And, Lord, there may be those that have called upon you, and, Lord, that are saved, but, Lord, they're not walking where they need to. There's things in their life. There's things that have crowded you out. You're not really a living, living Savior, not a really living Lord in their lives. You're just something that's been pushed to the back until there's more convenient time all today. Allow them to recognize what they're missing. This world can never give them what you can give to them. And Father, for every one of your children here today, that, Lord, in all of our failings and shortcomings and weaknesses, help us to be reminded this glorious day of what you've done for us. Help us to be so excited that we've got to share it with others. Lord, we pray that you do the work that only you can do for your glory, for your honor. In Christ's name. Amen.